Please may we have your attention. The KCIM KSIM morning meeting is now hitting your airwaves. Stand by, everybody. Here's your favorite radio personality, Fawn Riggin hosts. We're on in five. Pick up a phone. So what are you waiting for? Feel free to pick up that phone and call in with questions or comments. Dial 335-5512 or 1-800-TALK-960. And by the way, it's a free call from your Verizon wireless cell phone by touching star 960. The KCIM KSIM morning meeting begins. Moving forward in Missouri. The 2017 Blueprint, how we can make it happen. The Show Me Institute, where liberty comes first. Director of Government Accountability, Patrick Ishmael, is joining me now on the live line. Good morning, Patrick. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I had a great uh, New Year. I hope you did, too. I did. I did. I had a bunch of tweens stay at my house. They did cause some damage, but, boy, we had a good time. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do, right? Yeah. You get little boys in your house, that's what happens. Okay. So um, we are hoping for a really great 2017. I know that people might be expecting a little too much too soon, don't you think, because it takes time for things to happen. I think people are getting a little ahead of themselves. You know, I think that's a that's a fair you know cautionary uh, note a note of caution. But at the same time, I mean, w w it's been several years since we had this kind of kind of a free market movement at the House, uh, Senate, and the governor level. So I think you can be really excited about the opportunities. I, I've heard a lot of stuff from the governor so far having to do with tax incentives, where he's very skeptical of them. So that's very positive. So I don't think it's it's not necessarily wrong to get excited, but I think you do have to, to be sure to remind yourself that. Uh, there's a lot of hard work that's going to have to go forward if you want to make changes in health care, changes in tax policy and the like. So, yeah, I, 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 you don't want to get ahead of yourself, but you also don't want to set low expectations either. Right, right. So we are excited. We do have, an, uh, well, virtually almost, well, we have a veto-proof majority now in the House, the Senate, and, and at the governor's office. So things that have been kind of lollygagged for the last eight years may actually move forward now. Yeah, we, we certainly hope so. I mean, and, and when we talk about the blueprint that we've been we published a couple weeks ago, it goes through all the different uh, sort of policy reforms that we would recommend, uh, both the general uh, reforms that we want, but also specific reforms. So, in healthcare, certificate of need reform, in tax uh, tax policy, reducing the income tax, so getting rid of a lot of tax credits that are really ultimately very wasteful. Uh, the the real question right now is whether there's the political will to do it. It looks like there is the political will to do it, but again, you know, we're so early in the session, it hasn't even technically started yet, really. Mm -hmm. um, it, you, you do have to be mindful that there's a lot of hard work that goes into actually making these things law, uh, and we're not quite there yet. Yeah, it's session starts today, correct me if I'm wrong, or is it tomorrow? I, well, I know it's the inaugurations later this week, but I guess the technical date I'm not sure of, but I, I know I'll be at the inauguration, so I'll at least see it then. Yeah, it's on the 9th. Okay, so who wrote the 2017 blueprint for the Show Me Institute? Were you part of that, Patrick? I was part of it. Uh, it was a team effort with me, our education director, Michael McShane, Patrick Tuey, a lot of our policy analysts, uh, both in St. Louis and in Kansas City. And uh, to a great extent, it's really just a capturing of the work that we've done over the last five, six you know, 10 years since we've been in existence. And, the, the, you know, to give some background, I'm, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are, are familiar with the Show Me Institute, but we're a free market think tank. And when we talk about issues, we talk about them from a free market perspective. And it's real easy to get it kind of lost in the numbers. But when we talk about believing in the free market, what we're talking about is believing in people. 
And that's what these reforms really advance, and, and that's what kind of motivates them, is ways to empower people to make their lives better off, their families better off, their communities better off, and the state better off. And so we're talking about, you know, right to work, the earned income tax credit. We're talking about education reforms. Uh, and, and a lot of it is stuff that we've talked about at length recently, but it really does capture the body of work that we've developed over the, the last few years of our existence. And, and it really is people-empowering reforms, not government-empowering reforms. And I think that makes all the difference. Yeah, yeah, that's why we're a republic, not a democracy. We want the states to be in charge of themselves, not the federals, to be able to, to tell us what to do. And, and hopefully we can get our state back into shape. Some people will disagree, but what do you think is the most important issue right now? Would it be... The um, school situation, do you think it's taxes? What do you think is top of line, on uh, top of mind awareness right now, Pat? Well, the issues that I usually talk about are healthcare-related issues. And among those issues, I think certificate need reform is a low-hanging fruit. And I think it's something that can be advanced pretty quickly. And I hope that the, the legislature takes a hard look at it. But as far as what the priorities of the session are going to end up being, I think it's pretty clear it's going to focus pretty heavily on uh, union issues, so right to work paycheck protection, uh, prevailing wage, project labor agreements. I think those will be at the tippy top. And then I think a lot of education issues, like education savings, is going to be very important as well. Um, so uh, probably union stuff first, and then education stuff uh, as the session goes on. But uh, as far as uh, other priorities, I think income tax cuts are, are pretty big. The question is whether or not there's going to be enough political inertia after you get through the right-to-work uh, discussion and debate. Uh, and, and I think that there's possibly that we'll see some, some tax cuts this year, but I think that one of the big focuses is going to be on labor reform and then after that, education reform. And as soon as you say tax cuts, the liberals' panties go in a wad and they start freaking out about all of their entitlement programs, which have to be funded somehow, and they're like, you can't cut taxes because we already don't have enough money for everything that we're funding. But frankly, Patrick, we're funding too much. We need to cut back in some areas. It just has to happen. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely, and, and particularly when you're talking about the way that the state goes about trying to, de to develop the economy. We have these economic development tax credits that take up about three to $400 million a year. With that kind of money, and, and they're, they're wasteful, they don't really work most of the time, with that kind of money, you could wipe out the corporate income tax entirely. And that's, that's a, you know, if you want a budget-neutral tax cut, look at tax credits for, uh, you know, uh, Stadiums, those sorts of tax credits that, that, that are being debated in St. Louis right now, and don't give them away. And it'll provide plenty of space in your budget to make other tax cuts for other people. Uh, and, and that's really a better economic development strategy, not one that says, well, we're going to pick winners and losers in the tax code. We think that we're great investors in government. They're, they really aren't. The best investors, if you want to get the, the most reliable return, you want to trust in the market, you want to trust in people. And the best way to get them that money is to just cut everyone's taxes. And that's mm -hmm. what we'd suggest. Man, wouldn't it be nice to get an extra hundred bucks a month on your paycheck? Can you imagine? Yeah, I mean, in, in any amount of money, I think if you, when, you, when you look far enough over time, if you're putting money back in the pocket of people who know what they need to spend money on or know where they need to save, you're going to see a lot more progress than uh, you know a government a bureaucrat saying, you know, if this is what we ought to spend money on this year, and then the next year, yeah, we'll change priorities. We'll, we'll spend money on this project, you know, this year. It, it, it's bad policy to empower a bureaucrat who doesn't have all the knowledge that the market does, that you and I and everyone else in the state has, because we are making investments that, that we think are best based on our own, own knowledge, and there's no way that the government can know that. That's why you want to get money into the hands of people 
invest that money as they see fit. Okay. See, my children benefit from this, so I, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here because I'm always glad when they have extra money to spend because they need it too. But the earned income tax credit, let's talk about that for a second. You know, we have, um, we have people who, who barely work who get back like 12 grand a year in income tax, and they, they haven't even made that much money. And I sit and I think, gosh, and I had to pay in, and, and they already took 12 grand out of my checks throughout the year. So I sit in, in, in awe of the earned income tax credit and the child tax credits that we give back every year. Why do we do that? Well, when you're talking about the earned income tax credit, you're talking about money that goes back because you're earning that income. And, and, and what we really want to shift from is this kind of entitlement program mentality. So, you know, if you make below a certain amount of money, you will qualify for X program and Y program. What we really want to do is we want to incentivize work and de- dis- remove the disincentives from people who would be able to make more money than what would, uh, you know, basically bounce them out of a, a government program. Right. And that's one way to kind of smooth off that drop-off is with the earned income tax credit. Um, that is, I think, much better than, say, uh, what the left would suggest we do is to raise the minimum wage, which actually <laughs> hurts a lot of people, yeah, that particularly can't those who are the lowest earners. So a, a lot of the debate, I think, centers around, you know, what is the best way to try to help the poor? And when you're talking about state income taxes, that's a little different than, than the federal income tax. Federal income tax, uh, the earned income tax credit already exists. For your state income taxes, that's a discussion that's really kind of coming up this year. And I think that really is a step in the right direction to move toward an earned income tax credit for your state taxes rather than trying to raise the minimum wage or expand another government program. And I think as part of that discussion, when you start making this shift to the EITC, you also want to draw down some of the existing uh, entitlement programs that you're looking at. So looking for reforms uh, and, and drawdowns in the Medicaid program, for instance. Um, there are lots of ways that you can make this budget neutral, and I think but the, the, the main thing here is that you're incentivizing work, you're getting people to go out and work and not have, give them the incentive to stay at home and just collect, uh, you know, state assistance. That's a much worse way of having your uh, entitlement programs operate, and, and EITC is just, I think, a better step than what we have here in the state right now. It is, but you still have to look at people who will not work because if they and they want to work, but if they go to work and they even make minimum wage and they they get a certain uh, it, they don't want their pay raise because if they make three dollars more than the limit, then they lose their benefits for childcare or something, and it would end up costing them more than their increase would be. So it's like it's a catch twenty two. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean you're you're exactly right. You, you have to make sure that when you're crafting a reform like this, that it is uh, aware of all the other you know, unintended consequences that may come from it if you aren't looking at reforms and other entitlement programs as well. So for Medicaid, for instance, there are states that have advanced and will probably be able to get approved this coming year work requirements for Medicaid. And, and I think that, you know, if you have the option to, you know, not work and get Medicaid or, or work and get the earned income tax rate and you have those choices, um, you, you may end up choosing not to work and just taking the Medicaid. And that's why you want to make sure that you're taking stock of your entitled, your entire entitlement uh, kind of menu and say, you know what, we need to make sure that every program is pushing folks into getting into the workforce and being productive and, and, and really contributing to, to you know their families and to society. Um, and, and so long as you're doing that, I think an earned income tax credit is a positive step. And like I said, you know, the federal government already has the EITC for its taxes. The state, I think, should strongly take a look at uh, adjusting its entitlement programs 
to reflect that you know, the earned income tax credit can actually get people back into the workforce and incentivize them to continue working and to make more money because it's going to help them a lot more than if they just didn't work uh, and just relied on a state uh, entitlement program. And, you know, Patrick, I'm not good with numbers. I have issues with balancing a budget. I can't even look at the clock because it has numbers on it. It makes me crazy. I, I just I hate numbers. So what you all do is amazing to me. But um, I do know that if you keep throwing money into a bucket and it falls out the bottom that you're wasting it. And I think when we get to and I'm, I'm not slamming higher education. I'm just not because I do believe in higher education. However, University of Missouri system is just a huge sucking sound. I believe. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and my, my colleague, Michael McShane, is actually doing a, a study right now and, and is starting to publish some really interesting stuff about the University of Missouri, Columbia specifically. And what he's finding is that, you know, Mizzou is, is an okay university. It's kind of middling compared to our peers, but it, at the end of the day, it's kind of a, a risky proposition that if you don't get reforms there, then, well, what, what other options does the state have to make sure that um, – uh, that students are able to get the education that they want. And, and the good news here is that not only do we have the University of Missouri-Columbia, but we have these universities across the state that are very good at teaching kids. Um, but you really do want to make sure that, particularly at the University of Columbia, but at all universities in the state, that you have uh, real accountability measures that are being put forward, like, for instance, transparency in your curriculum. Uh, the University of Missouri, in the last couple of years, when we've requested to see the curriculum that's being taught, uh, they've gone to, to provide it, which is ridiculous. I mean, these, this is stuff that the university, that, that we pay for as taxpayers. And, you know, taking a hard look at the University of Columbia, Missouri at Columbia, hugely important. But, you know, I think that we ought to take a look at all of our universities and make sure that the money that we're spending is going where we want it to go and then being vigilant about uh, making sure that those universities are operating like we want them to. And I think... In most cases, they are, but at the University of Missouri-Columbia, we are looking at a situation where, you know, what was it, last year or the year before, it was a real black eye for the state. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it's really, it was a really sad situation that um, needs to get remediated, and, and I think taxpayers have a right to say, you know what, uh, this does kind of seem like a, a fiscal black hole. What are we paying for when we're talking about the University of Missouri-Columbia? And I think we're starting to get some answers, but we really do need to see some reforms going forward uh, from the university if they're going to maintain the kind of funding that they're getting. Heck, yeah. If I don't do my job, I get fired. You know? I mean, we, we as a state, should look at them and say, you're not doing their job. You're fired. Yeah. And, and, and you know what, Michael, our, our education director, has done a great job of, of looking at other universities, seeing where the University of Missouri uh, stacks up. And, you know, it is middling. And, and if, if, you know, average or mediocre is okay, well, that, that may be sufficient. But I don't think taxpayers are okay with, you know, average or mediocre. I mean, I think they want to have a great university. And, and the fact is, is that in, in Missouri's case, we have one major flagship university, and it is the University of Missouri at Columbia. But in other states, they have two. So if one uh, university is doing poorly, the other university still is kind of pro providing that reputational boost that the state wants. You know, we have all our eggs in one basket with the University of Missouri, and, and it is, it, it, it's just one more reason why it's so important to make sure that, that university is operating properly and reflecting the, the desires and needs and wants of, of students, of course, but taxpayers as well who foot the bill for it all. 
Yeah. So so we're running out of time here. I have about a minute left. Patrick Ishmael's director of government accountability at the Show Me Institute. We're talking about the 27 blueprint they put together, moving Missouri forward. Where do they read more about this? I know they can get to links and click on and, and more in-depth um, direct I guess, information about each one of these topics, Patrick. Yeah, absolutely. Go, just go to showmeinstitute.org. It's on the front page, 2017 uh, Blueprint, Moving Missouri Forward. You can probably Google it, too. If you just Google Show Me Institute 2017 Blueprint, has a rundown of all the things that we would suggest that uh, the state embark upon and pass in the next year or two. Uh, and, and it really is, I think, at least a good starting point and a good uh, primer. If, you, if you're not familiar with the issues, take a look at it. Uh, and, and give us your feedback because we're very interested in what the what our, our citizens actually think about it too. But we think that it's certainly a step in the right direction, and certainly stems from work that we've done before. Yeah, definitely, folks. Look at the open collective bargaining. I thought was important. Uh, the public pension reform is huge, and so is right to work. I know Illinois has gotten themselves into a buttload of trouble with their pension system, and we do not want to follow suit with that. So, Patrick, thank you for your time today. Thank you. Uh huh. Bye bye now. Patrick Ishmael with the Show Me Institute, 27 Blueprint, Moving Missouri Forward. Check it out today. It's 8.58.